0: said? Amen. Amen. I am. We're in a series called Reclaiming the Church. Reclaiming the Church as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians just to figure out what church is really all about and get back to really what the Bible says about the church. And so this morning I want to talk to you about Christian camps. Christian camps. How many people went to a Christian camp when you were younger? Youth camp, kids camp. Uh, I went to a thing called Royal Ranger Camp. We had, uh, in our background, we had uh, this thing's kind of like Boy Scouts and all the guys. My dad was a commander and we had about 30 or 40 boys in our church. On Wednesday nights, we'd meet. We learned how to burn things and tie things and, you know, skin things and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, we, we did camping. Every year, we would go on camps. All the dads and the boys would go out and we would compete against other churches on how our campsites were. We'd get this big area. We'd go to this big field. And this church would get this little square, and every church got its own little square. And in that camp, you had to compete on your lashing, on how you had fire buckets, and how your fire was started, on how far away your tents were. And, and I'm like, they get rulers out, man. It was, it was legit. It was serious on making sure your knots were tied and that every boy... I mean, they even looked at our fingernails. I mean, come on, boys in the mud, they were, you had to have clean fingernails. They, they went out on saying, we want you to know what it is to be men and men of God and to know how to survive uh, in the day that you live. And so we would do that, and we did wilderness survival camps where we'd go out with just our backpack on. You got three days and whatever you can take out. You didn't have any food. You had to get whatever they gave you. And I remember eating cactails and living on bouillon cubes and sleeping with spiders on my face. But I love camping. I love being outside. And so when I go to a state park, and I see the diversity of beliefs about camping. How many of we are talking about? There's a diversity of denominations in a state park. There are some people on one camp, you're going to go to this first denomination, and they're going to be the trailer, uh, camper trailer denomination. And they're going to say, man, if I'm going to camp, it's going to be with some AC and a satellite TV and a chair and a microwave and a stove, because if I'm gonna camp, I'm gonna camp comfortable. I'm gonna in that denomination. All right, very good. Okay, and then there's the other guy. He's a little further down. He could actually be across the little campsite. He's looking at the other guy. He's got the leaky tent, and his family's in there complaining. He's saying, but this is real camping. This is what camping's all about, getting back to nature, getting back to the the basics and hearing the sounds. And then on that freezing cold night, his family's like, don't you just wish? You can see the lights of the glow of the RV, and they're dreaming about being inside that RV. So I I will identify, though, on the rustic guy. That's just who I want to identify with sleeping out under the stars. But probably on a cold, rainy night, I'm going to switch denominations. I'm going to slip over and skip to the, the camper guy. I'm going to, I'll identify with that. You know, in the Christianity, there are a lot of camps. There's the Presbyterian. There's the Lutheran. There's the Methodist. There's the Baptist and the Southern Baptist and the National Baptist. There's Church of God. There's Assemblies of God. There's all kinds of Christian camps, all kinds of Christian camps. And in all of this, some of them are going to emphasize different things. Some will be liturgical Some will be spontaneous. Some will go for traditional hymns and music and choruses. And even in that, there's going to be Baptist hymns and Pentecostal hymns. And there's going to be some that are contemporary. And even in that, there's going to be those that are rockish and those that are a little less rockish and more radio Christianity. There's a diversity of interpretation. Some will emphasize Bible memorization. Some missions. Some will worship. And even inside of those camps, There's a diversity of interpretations and opinions, even in our local church. In this assembly, there are those of different backgrounds and experiences, some like teaching preachers, some like preacher preachers, some like this kind of worship, some like altar calls, some like coming and getting their hands shaken, and some want to hide in the back. It's okay. There's a diversity of interpretations on what this thing is all about. So what is camping? What is the church. Because if we begin to criticize and compare, you know that family that's in that campsite looking at that RV is not going to have a very good day because they're always comparing what they could or could not have. There are a lot of camps outside of this local church and even if in this local church many preferences and methods and traditions you and I may celebrate Easter or Christmas differently we may believe different things about Santa Claus and some will say I don't ever tell my kids about that and some will say I always that's okay there's a lot of interpretations a lot of opinions but sometimes we can get stuck building up our own camps Sometimes we can get stuck building up our own camps, but what defines church? It's been said that comparison always leads to a critical spirit. You know, since the fall, mankind has always been divided. We fight over everything. You leave two people on a desert island, they're going to argue and fight. It's just, it you don't have to try. You're going to fight. Uh, from Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, men and women began to fight. That marital issues began in the garden. He said versus she said. Adam says it's her fault. She says it's the snake's fault. They all complain and criticize because that bond was broken when we left that perfection with, with God. And even within ourselves, we are so conflicted as a people group, right? As a people group that we and ourselves don't even agree with ourselves sometimes. We're like, I don't want to do the things I'm doing. I don't know why I'm saying this thing that I'm saying. I don't even know why I feel this way. Sometimes I'm angry and I don't know it. Why? Because even inside yourself, you're conflicted. There's that, that meme about the guy who got stranded on the desert island. And they rescue him, and they come to the first hut, and they say, what's this? He said, that's my house. And he goes, the next hut, that's my storage building. And they go to the next one, they say, this is my church. And he says, well, what's this next one? So well, that's my other church, because that church, I split off of that one. I had to start a new one. Like, I mean, even in ourselves, we're divided within who we are. So what happens when you put a bunch of people together in a church building? You're going to have problems, You're going to have divisions because there's different preferences and personalities because why? We are people and we don't even get along in our own families. How can we think we're going to get along with a bunch of other families? Think about it. Sometimes we come to church and expect that everyone's going to be perfect and get along. But when I go to your house, do I expect you all to be perfect? No. So we got a bunch of imperfect people hanging out together, but what defines us must be greater than what divides us. Somebody say amen. Amen. What we have in common is greater than what separates us. What we have together is bigger and better than any of our distinctions because why? If we are going to camp, let's camp at the cross. If we're going to camp, let's camp at the cross. There are no cliques at the cross. Amen? There is only one man, one mark, and one message. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. One man. One mark and one message. First Corinthians chapter one verse ten. If you're there, somebody say Amen. Let me give you the background and catch you up. If you weren't here, uh, we are in the book of Corinth. Paul is writing to his uh, one of his key churches. Uh, Corinth is this port city. Who uh, man? It was a sailor city. It was the Las Vegas, the uh, the New Orleans French Quarter of the day. Okay, party city. There were six hundred thousand plus people there. Huge city. And Paul had labored there 18 months and established churches, okay? And I say churches. There was the corporate church of Corinth, but there were multiple house churches, multiple different churches. He'd have one lady whose name was Chloe. She had a house church, probably a wealthy woman, probably a widow, had a bigger house. She could keep more people in it. And so Chloe had a house church, a group of people. All right, for those of you who may have different interpretations about women in the ministry. Uh, Chloe had a house church, all right? And another guy who was over all of it, his name was Apollos. And uh, Paul left Apollos in charge to oversee these house churches for the church, the global church of Corinth, the church of the city. Again, 600,000 people plus in this city, you're going to reach the whole city. It's not just going to be one building. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have church buildings. They met from house to house all over the city, all right? So Paul leaves. He comes back. A few years go by. And he hears from Chloe's people and Apollos, this church not only has serious sin issues, they have serious division. Serious division, not only in race and class, but in personality and preference. And so Paul writes back, and here he is in verse 10, chapter 1. He says this, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. Everybody say agree. Agree. That literally means speak the same thing. You all speak the same thing. There be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, there you are, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this to say that each one of you is saying, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was not, was Paul, Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say they were, were baptized in my name. Now, there was no erasers in this time. He's writing with ink on parchment. So he writes this. He says, Now, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of, cro- of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing." But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And all God's people said, amen. amen. He says, there was a preference of person growing in this church causing division. What do I mean by that? That for one group, they would say, I like Paul. Now, Paul was that Gentile, say what you mean uh, and mean what you say kind of person. And Paul was the rough guy. He was going to go out there and reach the lost and reach to be all things to all men. And so, if you were of that heathen background, if you were a pagan background, you might identify more with Paul. You might like Paul's preaching. Uh, Paul was simple, but he was powerful. And so, they liked him, and they liked his style of ministry, and they could identify with Paul. There were some people who were Jews in this church, diverse church. And some people say, well, you know, Peter was a Jew. Peter's the head of the church. Man, how can you get better than Peter? Peter walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. I mean, that's the guy that Jesus left in charge. I mean, come on, we used to follow Peter. So the Jews probably identified with Peter. Then in this big, wealthy town, you had the educated people, the elite people who began to get converted. And Apollos was this guy from Alexandria, Egypt, who came up north, and he was an educated man, very eloquent in speaking and teaching, and I like Apollos. If I'm going to identify with somebody, I'm an Apollos kind of guy. I want to be like Apollos one day. And Apollos, he was that guy that you would go there and listen to his teaching all night long, and the people loved his teaching, and he related to those types of people. And so Paul begins to talk to them. He says, guys, why am I hearing there's divisions among you? He says, you're emphasizing the message, Uh, you're emphasizing the messenger and not the message. And he says, I want you to speak the same thing. And he says, I want there to be no divisions. He says, literally that word in the Greek is no schisms or no clicks. No schisms, no splits, no dissensions, no clicks, because there's one man, one mark, and one message. I'm just giving you those three things really briefly. Number one is there's only one man. There's a danger when churches are built on personality and preferences of man. Personality and preferences of man. What do I mean by that? He says, guys, when you begin to glorify man, you rob the glory from God. And Paul says, this church is not built. He says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but who did the growth? God. God. God did the growth. It's the Holy Spirit that grows this church. It's the Holy Spirit that's leading this church. And there's only one man, and the only one man you should be focused on is the God-man, Jesus Christ. He's the man. If you want to focus on a man, focus on the God who came as a man and died for your sin and nailed it to the cross and rose from the grave. That's the guy you should focus on. You want to build something, build it on him because he's the only guy that can grow his church. So he says, Why do you boast in these things? We can boast in our own unique preferences and preferences, our perspectives. We can, we can demand our own way in our worship styles. We can say, Well, I'd prefer you all sing this, or I'd prefer a pastor do this, or I'd prefer they would open the doors this way. I'd prefer kids' church look like this. I'd prefer a youth ministry did this. We can, we can have all these preferences. But do we demand our own way? Remember what Paul says about love? Love does not demand its own way, but it rejoices when truth is winning out. And isn't that the ultimate goal for us is that truth would be winning out no matter the preference or the method, no matter the personality style, that we're one church in Jesus. And one of, the, one of my pet peeves in ministry is that people often, I've heard it through the grapevine, right? Some have dared to tell me to my face, but that I, I only come when my favorite preacher is preaching. Like, oh, they're, they're, oh, there's just a missionary tonight, I'm going to stay home. Don't ever tell me that, please, to my face. That there's a missionary and you'll stay home because it's not Pastor Heath speaking. Then I'm not doing my job. Or it's, oh, it's just Pastor Christian this morning. Oh, it's just so-and-so. We've got a guest speaker. It's just some evangelist. And we stay home. Why? Because you have a personal preference. And we're going to church for personal preferences. And our personality styles and what we like and what teacher we like and what preacher we like, the better. Amen. We've got to remember, though, Paul says it's one church, many body, many parts. You know, denominations will rise and fall. Your pastors will come and go. Our churches even, they'll ebb and flow. They'll go up and down, increase and slow, increase and slow. That's just part of church ministry. Every person, though, in every position in this church is replaceable. I'm replaceable. I am. Pastor Christian's replaceable. Miss Evelyn's replaceable. Miss T is replaceable. Everybody in here is replaceable because this isn't about us this ministry sanctuary is not about a pastor's personality. I hope it's not for a pastor's personality or our preference or how we worship or our style of ministry. Because if we want to boast, Paul says, he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3.31, If you want to boast, make your boast in the Lord. Boast that Jesus has brought this diverse, messed up people together. Boast that God is moving in our services. Boast that the word of God is going forth from our assembly. Boast that young people's lives are being changed. I don't care how it's happening, but it's happening. Boast that God is moving in our worship style, whether it's Southern gospel, contemporary, classic hymns, or liturgy. As long as God is moving, let's boast in God. As long as God is moving, let's boast in the Lord. What do you think will happen to a church whose members continue to build their own camps around their personal preferences? What happens when we get known more by our programs, our doctrines, our pastor's personality rather than the person of Jesus Christ? Right? What happens when sanctuary becomes known more about Pastor Heath Harris's ministry than that Jesus moves at sanctuary. If we look to man, we'll fail. But if we look to Christ, we'll flourish. There's only one man, so we don't build on men, and that's the God of Man, Jesus Christ. And number two, there's one mark. There's a danger not only building of man, but on building on man's methods. There's a diversity of methods. Corinthians were specifically in this moment they're divided over baptism. One author says they had over understated it and overstated what baptism really meant. In the ancient world, if you were to get baptized, it meant something pretty powerful. In fact, there was pagan religions that you often had to identify with as a family. And even if you were to go to work, often there would be some kind of uh, idol or even the head of Caesar. To go into the marketplace, you have to make an incense offering to it. You pray to it. You leave something there. Your family birthday parties and your family events were probably going to involve pagan ideology and pagan rituals. And that was just who you are. Your family paid to the God of this or homage to the God of this. And so to be baptized was to formally leave your family's religion and join another religion. And often in the ancient world, what that meant is that your family would ostracize you, they would cast you out. You wouldn't come to the family birthday party anymore. You wouldn't go to the baby dedication anymore. You wouldn't come over for the holiday festival. You, in fact, probably might even lose your job, and many Christians in the early church did lose their jobs and could not uh, sell their artifacts in the marketplace. They had to go outside of the market and try to peddle. Many Christians went poor because they got baptized. Some were even marked for death by their families. Even in the Middle East today, if you were to be baptized as a Muslim, guess what? You might be marked for death and especially ostracized from your family. The same was true back then. So they had take this thing and made it a ritual, this mark of death, they made it into about man's method and they say, well, I wanted to be baptized in the following of Paul. I want to be baptized in the following of Peter or Apollos. And Paul says, you weren't baptized into the name of Paul, were you? I didn't die for you. What are you talking about? This isn't about man's methods of baptism or our cliques or different camps. You're baptized into Christ, and even that we can be divided over today. Uh, even in our unique area, we have this thing as, are you baptized into Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or are you baptized into the name of Jesus? And what does that mean? What does that mean? It's the same thing they were doing back then. What are you baptized into? Well, if you go back to the original meaning, the original text, what it really means is, are you baptized into the person, into the whole person? Both are the same thing. I've told, uh, I've joked around with our our. Audience and our staff is that nobody knows what I'm saying when they go under the water. I could be saying anything about them. And they don't know. It's not about what I'm saying. It's not a magical incantation. It's not a ritual. It's not some rite. I could say, Old McDonald had a farm, D-I-E-A-O. They have no idea. They're under the water. Why? It's because their heart is into a following of Jesus Christ. When I say, Are you baptized into Jesus' name? You know what that means? Are you baptized into following him with your whole heart? Are you baptized, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Are you baptized into Jesus' name? It's the same. It says, I'm baptized into dying with Christ and being raised to new life. I don't care what the formula or the method is. If you're in a creek, in a horse trough, in a portable tank, or out there in a pool, you are baptized into the heart. It's a baptism into death with Jesus. It's not a religious work that saves you. You can disagree with me on all types of things. We can disagree on man's methods or interpretations of Scripture, but Paul says in Ephesians, "...there is only but one Lord, one faith, and one baptism." And I have a denomination that I work within. I submit to authority. I believe in denominations. Don't get me wrong. I believe that there should be missions movements. I believe there should be people who ordain our pastors, like we talked about this morning, and two pastors in our church being uh, credentialed in a higher way. I believe in their accountability of denominationalism and, and that we need to organize our funding and we need to be able to work together and we need to put out false doctrine. There's a need for those things. There's a need for things to be diversified among groups. That we don't have a central government of churchianity like we had in the Catholic Church before the Reformation, where the power went to hierarchy and the Pope and all this stuff. There needs to be a diversity, but there has to be a oneness. There has to be a unity, a common thing. And let me tell you something. Paul says in Colossians two, he says, "I've been buried with him in baptism, and I've been buried." He says, "I've been buried with him and raised to new life. I am not baptized in the assemblies of God." I am not baptized into the church of God. I'm not baptized as a Southern Baptist because my religious works don't define me. Traditions don't define me. It's not about a list of do's or don'ts. Our Christianity should be marked by anything. It should be marked that we have died with Christ. I'll tell the first service, I said, you know, it's what we have in the world today is so many dry Christians. Why do we have dry services and dry worship and dry preaching? And why do we have dry church church events and dry dry worship services? Why do we have so many problems? Because we have dry Christians. And what do I mean by that is that sometimes it's like when you go into baptism that you're somebody, the pastor's taking you down, you just like leave that leg up, you leave that arm up because I want this arm to be able to slap somebody when I need it to, or I want my lips not to go under baptism. So I want to be able to speak what I say when, I'm, when I want to say it. And we, 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 we have have areas of our hearts that haven't gone down into the waters of death with Christ. That we're dry Christians. That's why we're dry. Because we've yet to die with Christ in some area of our life. And in fact, if I'm able to be offended by you in this family that we have, that's probably an area I haven't died with him in. You offended me in how you dealt with that. You offended me. In, okay, that's great. Go die there. Take that. That's not. People are going to offend you all day long. You are in control of that. That's a place in my heart where I have to go, Christ was offended for me. Therefore, I should be able to be offended. So I'm going to take that place and take it down to the waters of death. And that's going to be what I'm known for. Not my denomination, not my unique interpretation, not my personal preferences of worship or style or dress, but I have died with Christ. Let us be known for that we have been marked for death that we've gone down into death and we are into new life with him. So it doesn't matter if you like hymns or contemporary or you like pews or seats or if you like this kind of pastor or that kind of pastor. Have you died with him? Have you died with him? Let's not be a dry Christian. Is there any, of my, any area of my life I've not been baptized yet? Places I've not gone down into death. Places I've not submitted to him. And lastly is this. There's only one man, one mark, and there's only one message. He says, I want you to speak the same thing. I've been to churches before where they continually preach their one unique doctrine. Over and over again, that's all you'll hear is their one unique perspective, one unique doctrine. What we are different. What makes us different than other churches? Let's preach that thing over and over again. Paul says, I want you to speak the same thing. The cross is the place where all Christians agree. The cross is the thing that we all have in common. The cross is the place where we all come into perfect unity because we're all the same at the cross. It's our chief message. And Paul says, this is a foolish thing. Why? Because it's not a man's thing. In the ancient day, you didn't go to the dinner table and talk about dying on a cross. It would be like talking about the the gas chamber or talking about lethal injection. It wasn't popular conversation. It wasn't dinner table talk. And in fact, it was ugly talk. It was inappropriate talk. You didn't talk about that. That wasn't something. In fact, if you were of a certain class, you would never even die by the crucifixion. That was only for men of no reputation, slaves and outcasts and criminals. If you were a Roman citizen, you would have been beheaded or hung or some other form. Even Roman soldiers would have had to drink a potion or, or uh, poisoning. To kill them if they had a problem. It was beneath them to die on a cross. So when you talk about, let's follow this criminal who died on a cross for you, you're talking outlandish, sir. That's not a formula I want to join. That's not a money market ministry. That's not something that's going to attract the following. He says it's foolishness. Why? Because the wisdom of God is more than the wisdom of man. The foolishness of God is even wiser than the wisdom of man. This stuff is not built on men's unique skills. This thing cannot be built on how well Pastor Heath preaches or how well our worship team sings or how much money this church has or how cool we can be or how much lights we can have and what our media looks like and that we have the best Facebook or website or that we have pyrotechnics jumping out of the the back of our church when things are jumping. Man, we don't have to build on men. We didn't He wasn't saying, let's do the best we can do and use all the world's ways to grow this church. He says, no, in fact, well, the way we do church, it's foolish. It's powerless to the world. Why? Because it's only the message of the cross that has power. That's the only thing that can save the soul from hell. It's not something man has done or man can do. And you can come to a church and want someone to move your emotions, You can come to a church and want some pastor to move you and get you to believe and get you, but I don't care how the guy preaches, it's the message that is powerful, not the preacher. It's the message of the cross that has power. It's not the preacher that has power. This message will make you hate your sin. It will cut to the heart of your self-centeredness. It will give you power to live a new and holy life. And I don't care if it comes from a donkey, it can change your life. So how have I been coming to church, have I been coming to church for methods, for a movement, or have I been coming to church for a message? He says, I don't want to make this thing void. He says, I don't want to do the cross, I don't want to do anything to make the message of the cross void. What did he mean by that? Paul said, it can't be because I'm eloquent, because I have, see the Jews wanted signs and wonders, prove this. The Gentiles wanted new philosophies. Argue this better. Educate me better. Paul says, I just suffered among you to preach nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because it's only this message that has power. It's only this message that saves. And we can have the best ingenuity and intellect. We can... Emphasize our new buildings, our programs. We can have creative campaigns to get as many lost people. And I believe in all that. I believe in using technology. I believe in having music. I believe in having the best preaching. I believe in having the best welcome team and working on our youth ministry. I believe in having the best and doing everything we can to reach the lost, that by any means we might reach some. But at the end of the day, none of that saves anybody. At the end of the day, none of that saves anybody. Because it is not about drawing people with our message, it's about drawing people with the message. Somebody say amen. amen. So have I been come to church today to be entertained by an eloquent, educated, good-looking pastor? Yeah, exactly. Have I been coming to church to be entertained by good music, a good production? Or am I coming because the message of God is always good? It's always powerful. It's always life-changing. You see, there's only one man, the God-man Jesus Christ. There's only one mark that would be marked with him into death. And there's only one message, the message of the cross. That's what makes church camping. We're all equal at the cross. And let me close with this. What happens if we continue to build our churches on our personality and preferences? What happens if we begin to still let things divide us and, oh, I'm not going to sit over here because so-and-so has gone that side, or, or I'm coming to the 9 versus the 11 because I just, you know, like that style better, or I, I'm going to do this ministry or that. If we begin to let all the, I can't go to that church over there because I got family at that church. Sometimes that's what it is, right? I, we have all these things that are here, and it makes us dry. And if we continue to build church on this and Christianity on this, on a pastor's personality, and as soon as I leave, and maybe you don't like the next guy one day, Lord, does this, you might leave this church because you're building it on a person, on a method, on a personality or your preferences, not on that we are together in Christ. And we will fail to reach this city if we build it on personality and preference and method. But if we build it on the message of the cross, on the God-man Jesus Christ, on our mark for death, that it's not about who we were before we came to Christ, but who we are in Christ. And we have all died with him. And I love you because I love him. And I'll serve you because I serve him. And I'll worship with you because I worship him. And that's what binds us together, that we are rooted and grounded in his love. And if we camp in personal preference, comparison will kill us, pride will fall before us, and we'll fail to reach this city. But if we make our camp at the cross, everyone's equal at the cross. Everyone has a place at the cross. We'll have the power finally to take this city for Christ, and Christ will cause the growth. There's only one man, one mark, and one message. Would you stand with me today? Worship team, would you come? Let's stand together and make an altar moment before the Lord Where are you at? Where are you at? Are you dry in some area of your life? Maybe today there's a place of offense. Maybe today there's a place of unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe today you have been leaning more on going to church because you think you needed my help, or you needed this worship team, or you, you like our church because of our unique method. All those are good things. But at the end of the day, is the message still good enough for you? Have you gone to that place of death with Him? That you're just happy to be in Jesus. Happy to love people of diversity of interpretation. Happy to join together with a diversity of Christians. A diversity of worship styles. A diversity of preferences. A diversity of pastors in the way they preach and teach. Because it's not about them and it's not about you. It's all about Him. It's not about me. It's all about Him. And so this morning, where are you? What are you building Christianity on? May I believe this morning that God would reveal hidden things, things you didn't even realize you had been trusting in, trusting in, things you've been relying on to shape your view of Christianity and camping. You say, Lord... Get it back to what it really is all about. May the gospel, simple message that Jesus Christ came, he died, he rose again, he's coming back. He saved me by grace. He died for me on a cross. He bore my sin and bore my shame. May that message so move us, so move us, that we let all of our differences aside and everyone at the cross just worship together and say, yes, Lord, we're willing to die with you. Yes, Lord. We're willing to love like you. Yes, Lord, we will worship you with all of our heart and all that is in within me, oh God. I'll bless your holy name.